this week, uh, as we go through Mark, the thing I want you to hear is this, that as we read the Bible, God uses it to break up the soil of our fearful and divided hearts so that we can be part of his ongoing harvest. As we read the Bible, in fact, I'd say only as we read the Bible, God uses it to break up the soil of our fearful and our divided hearts so that we can be part of his ongoing harvest. In Solbury, northwest of London, there's this rock in the middle of the road, and it's called the Solbury Stone. It measures three feet by four feet, and it's been there for eons as long as anyone can remember. Twice tanks have tried to remove it during World War II, but amazingly, it's still there. Uh, One time there was a visitor to Solbury who drove his car into it, Because this stone, if I didn't mention it already, it's in the middle of the street. So he drove his car into the middle of the into this stone and he sent a bill to the town council for £1,800. He wasn't very happy, and as as a result of this accident and this bill being sent to the council, they had a conversation in the council whether the stone should be removed. But the residents of Solby were not very happy because it had been there for ages and it was a part of their town and they kind of loved it and so they asked the council not to do anything in fact one guy said I will chain myself to the Solbury stone so that it will not be moved and the Solbury stone is still there bang in the middle of the road as far as I know and this this real life account reminds me of a fictitious story which goes something like this Uh, A small village woke up to find a big rock in the middle of their main road. And the first to find this rock in the morning uh, was a farmer. He was driving a wagon loaded with grain. And he drove his team, he, he, he drove his wagon around the stone complaining that... Uh, there were so many lazy people who didn't bother to move the stone. And a young soldier came next. He was deep in thought, and he didn't see this big rock, so he banged into it, and he fell down. And he fumed for a few moments about the laziness of people who leave big stones in the middle of the road. He thought maybe one day he'd even move move it himself, but he carried on. The whole day passed. People complained. People walked around it. No one touched it but right before night nightfall the miller's daughter walked past she noticed the rock she'd been working all day and she was exhausted but she said to herself look it's almost dark someone may fall over the stone in the middle of the night and be badly hurt so she tugged at the heavy stone and she pushed and pulled and pulled and pushed and maneuvered it and wiggled it and lifted it until finally with the last ounce of her strength she moved it over to the side of the road to her surprise where the rock was underneath it there was a there was a box she lifted the box it was very heavy and on the box was written This box belongs to whoever moves the stone. She opened the lid of the box and found that it was full of gold. So to the farmer and the soldier, the rock was nothing more than a nuisance, something that got in their way. But to the miller's daughter, the rock became something, became this opportunity uh, that changed her life forever. Let's turn to Mark chapter 4. Verse 1, Mark chapter 4, verse 1. 
Mark chapter 4 verse 1 says this. And again, Jesus began to teach by the lake. The the crowd that gathered around him was so large that he got into a boat and sat in it out on the lake while all the people were along the shore at the water's edge. He taught them many things by parables and in his teaching said, listen, a farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants so they did not bear grain. Still other seeds fell on good soil. It came up, grew and produced the crops, some multiplying 30, some 60 and some 100 times. Now, I I hope that you've noticed by now as we've been going through Mark that Jesus' ministry circuit is very small. He's kind of, he's more or less alternated between the town of Capernaum and the shore of the Sea of Galilee, with some time spent in the wilderness as well, out in the desert. This has been Jesus' stomping ground. Nevertheless, even though his circuit has been small, his reputation has gone absolutely viral. People were hunting him down in packs, in crowds. People wanted what Jesus had, which is that magic finger of power that could do stuff like fixing their bodies without them having to wait in emerge, waiting for their number to be called. That's what Jesus was able to do. That's why people were coming to him over and over again, wanting to be healed. Now, chapter 3, verse 8 tells us that people from all over Judea were taking their hard-earned vacation time just to be where he was. And then in chapter 4, verse 22, we find out that even the religious fat cats in Jerusalem made the trek over to Capernaum with their entourage to check Jesus out themselves. Now, things were so hectic and so crazy that in chapter 3, verse 9, if you remember the last sermon, Jesus hires a boat just in case he needs to make a quick getaway from the the crowds. And now in chapter 4, verse 1, we find out that Jesus' planning paid off. He, uh, he now gets to use this boat that he laid aside just in case he, he needs it. This crowd is getting too up close, um, so much so that really anyone outside of the first two rows of people weren't able to hear what he was saying because of the clamour of, of, of people. And so he hops in the boat and he pushes off to a safer distance and the crowds spread along the shore and probably up the hillside as well. So it's kind of like this natural amphitheater um, thing. And so now Jesus can preach because sound carries across water. Now I know that sound carries across water because one night my family were camping and there was this party going on and it was noisy and It sounded like the tent next to us were having an all-night party. But it wasn't them. They were fast asleep. Who it was actually was this tent over the lake, way over the other side of the lake, who were having a jolly good time. And because of the nature of the surface of the water and science, they were keeping us up. Because the sound carried across the water. 
Now, I try to be a good representative of Jesus because, you know, I'm a Christian and I'm a pastor and all that kind of thing. But the next morning, I remember Wendy and I wrestling with this strong temptation to walk over to their campsite, which is now absolutely deathly quiet, and to have our own party the next morning and see how they like it. But we didn't, either because we're good Christians or because we're wimps. I'm not sure which. But anyway, the, the point is, is, that water, is that water amplifies sound. And so Jesus knew this, and so he pushes off from the shore and he starts preaching. Now, verse 2 of chapter 4 tells us that what we have here is only part of, uh, you know, of the full sermon. It's, it's kind of it's a teaser trailer. It's a little bit of it. Um, and next week we are going to carry on with some, some more parables that he shares. But this is the start of the sermon. Now I'm, now, I'm not going to look or explain to you much about verses 4 through 8, because later on Jesus says the same thing again, but he explains it himself. And so I won't explain verses 4 through 8. It's just that's the parable, the story that he told. And really it's about a sower sowing seeds in the soil, and three types of soil were not conducive to, to growth, and one type of soil was But the first thing to notice in verse 3 is this, is that Jesus says, listen. Now, it's a safe bet or assumption to make that Jesus didn't say, "Um, listen, listen, because he was out on the boat. There's this big crowd there spread along the shoreline up on the hillside. So I would imagine that Jesus said something more like this. Listen. And so people listened. And then he starts to tell them this story about this soil and the seeds and the sower. He then finishes this parable, this sermonette. And then in verse 9, he says this, Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. And then it goes on into verse 10. When he was alone, the twelve and the others around him asked him about the parables. So he's, he's now away from the crowd. He's with, the, uh, with his, those people who've hung around. And so they ask him about the parables. And he told them, the secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you. But to those on the outside, everything is said in parables so that they may be ever seeing but never perceiving, ever hearing but never understanding. Otherwise, they might turn and be forgiven. Then Jesus said to them, Don't you understand this parable? How, will, how then will you understand any parable? So Jesus tells the parable and then the crowd separates and they go their own way. And Jesus is left with a small group, which is the twelve followers of him is the 12 apostles or the 12 disciples um, and then there's others around him now we don't know who the others around him are but they're people who've stuck around now I want you to imagine with me a concert the band has played the people have crowd surfed they've headbanged they've sung along to their favorite songs they've generally had a great time it was a good night but do you know how to tell the difference between a fair weather fan and a faithful follower the, faithful, the fair weather fan leaves the concert early to get to their car to make it out early so that they miss the crush. But the faithful follower sticks around and waits by the exit door leading to the tour bus. Why is this? Because they know that eventually the band's going to have to come out. And this might lead to an autograph or a spoken word or a hug 
or a conversation. The faithful follower always wants more. So you can tell the state of someone's heart by whether they hang around after the crowd has gone their own ways. And this is what verse 10 is all about. It tells you who stuck around after the concert. We, we get to see what people's hearts are like. So because most of the crowd went home saying things like, that was a great message. Yeah, the way he talked about grain and soil and birds and stuff, it was really relevant. I really got what he was saying. You know, the farming and agriculture. But I'm not really sure who the farmer is or the soil. Is that me? Is the seed me? Am I planted in the world? Um, Or perhaps I'm the farmer. Or is God the seed? No. Okay. Is God the birds, like the Holy Spirit, but then, if so, then why is the Holy Spirit eating me, the seeds? So does the Holy Spirit actually want to eat me? And what on earth does the path represent? Is it Jesus? Because isn't he the way, the truth, and the life? So isn't the pathway him? But in this, it seemed bad. Anyway, it was a good message. I appreciated it. Speaking about hungry birds, I'm getting peckish myself, so let's go somewhere and eat. That's what most of the people did, but those few stuck around. Why? To get Jesus to explain. They'd heard him wrap up his message in verse 9 saying, He who has ears to hear, let let him hear. Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. And they realized that Jesus was talking about them. They had ears, and it turns out that they were the ones who wanted to hear They wanted to understand. And that's why Jesus in verse 11 says this. That the secrets, where is it? The secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you. Listen to that. The secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you. Why was the secret of God given to them? The kingdom of God given to them. Was it because they were special? No, it was because they asked. Because they longed to know more. Because they wanted to press in and get to grips with what Rabbi Jesus was saying. Their their desire meant that they were on the inside. Their desire was the key that gave them the VIP access or areas pass to the band after the concert. And they didn't just meet the band. They met Jesus himself so my, so my question for you this morning and for myself is this. What is your level of desire? You're sitting, to me, you're sitting here listening to me preach a sermon that, is about sermon that is about a sermon that Jesus preached that is about how people listen to sermons. Let me say that again. You're sat here listening to me preach a sermon that is about a sermon that Jesus preached that is about how people listen and respond to sermons. So try to wrap your head around that. But what is your level of desire? Are you someone who leaves here and instantly you're on to the next thing? If so, you're like the first type of soil that springs up. Or actually it falls on the path and the birds come and eat it up. It it really doesn't even land. That the message of God doesn't even have time to land and sink into your life. Because the birds, which is Satan, as, as we read here, has already taken it away. Or are you someone who says, teach me more. I want to press in. I want to find out more. Now, a great example of this mindset is in Acts chapter 11, 
verse 17, Acts chapter 11, verse 17, uh, which is about these people known as the Bereans. Now, and what it says in Acts chapter 17, uh, 11, verse 17, is this. Um, oh, it's not Acts chapter 11, verse 17. Anyway, I'll tell you what it says, and you can find that out later, okay, in your phones. But, but this is what not Acts chapter 11, verse 17 says. Okay, it says this. Now, the Jews of Berea were of more noble character those than those in Thessalonica, for they received the message with great eagerness, and they examined the scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. As a result, many of them believed. Okay, so it's their eagerness that led to saving faith. This parable that we're reading in Mark chapter 4 is all about our level of yearning, of wanting more. What is our desire? So where is your heart at? Have you got the heart of an adventurer that says, show me more, Jesus. Take me around the next bend. Show me another vista. Reveal more of the landscape of your heart. Show me what I don't already know. Let me in on the secrets of this land. Take me off the beaten track, God. There's nothing I desire more than you. you. Or in your Christian life, or in your non-Christian life, are you vaguely bored? Perhaps you think that you've got this God thing down. Perhaps you think that you've figured him out. Perhaps you're good with what you learnt when you were at Sunday school. And so why waste time with the inconvenience of further exploration? You see, as we're sat here listening to this message that Jesus preached, we're listening to a message about ourselves. In the UK, we have these family TV shows which are broadcast live, and they're tons of fun. They have a live, live audience, and uh, there's always audience, audience participation. And during the show, more often than not, there's a chance to win a car or a holiday or something really big, right? But you have to do this, um, you know, you, you have to do a quiz or something like that in order to win it. And so, and, and often it's just with the crowds there, it's the audience there in the studio, but sometimes what happens is that the camera all of a sudden switches and you're no longer looking at the audience there in the studio, you're suddenly looking at someone sat on their couch watching the TV show and the camera's on them. Now, you see at that moment that this family sat on the couch, that there's all this stuff going through their heads. They don't usually say it all, but there's stuff going through their heads. They look like you know, a deer caught in the headlights of a car. And they realize that they're looking at themselves on TV and that everyone else is watching them. And I know that if it was my first thought, that, or that if this happened... Uh, to me, Jane, if you can just move the mouse and then it'll get back onto where it needs to be. So if, so if, if I was there watching this TV show on the couch in my home and the camera was suddenly on me and I was on live TV, my first thought would be, was I just picking my nose? Okay? And then my second thought would be this. Is my fly closed? Okay? Those would be my first two thoughts. But that's just me. 
And then the moment of shock is over, and then they freak out. And you, you can see it in their face. They're like, it's me, I'm on live TV. And the women jump up and down, and they wave their hands, and they squeal. And the men usually walk out of the room, because they just can't handle that level of emotion. And the women usually go, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. Like that. Because suddenly this TV show is all about them. They're being invited in to participate. And that's, what happen- well, that's what's happening here in this passage. For those who stayed behind to find out what the heck Jesus was on about, with his veiled teaching and analogies and soil and birds, they suddenly find out that the camera was pointed at them the whole time. The parable was about them. They are the soil. Oh my gosh, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. It's them. And now here we are today reading an account in the Bible about how a parable is about people listening, and then suddenly we realize, hold on one hot second. I'm here listening to a sermon Jesus preached about people listening, then all of a sudden we realize that the camera is on us, that we're on live TV, that we're on God's TV, that this is all about me. Oh my gosh, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. Because this is what this parable is about. It's not about them It's about us. It's not about our neighbor that we wish we could be here to hear this message. It's about us. Jesus is speaking about soil types to people that represent the different soil types. And it's at this moment that our heads explode because it's kind of like an inception moment when we realize that there's a parable with a layer inside a layer inside a layer. And there in the middle of it all is you. There in the middle of it all is you. You see, through, through this parable, Jesus is inviting us to view life how he views it. He's revealing his kingdom to us. And we're on live TV and the viewing is riveting. Verse 14. The farmer sows the word. Some people are like seed along the path and the word is sown. As soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes away the word that was sown in them. Others, like seed sown on rocky places, hear the word and at once receive it with joy. But since they have no root, they only last a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. Sorry, when trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. Still others, like seed sown among thorns, hear the word, but the worries of this life The deceitfulness of wealth and the desires for other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. Others, like seeds sown on good soil, hear the word, accept it, and produce a crop, some 30, some 60, and some 100 times what was sown. So the farmer is God. Verse 3 tells us that the farmer went out to sow his seed. And this reminds me of a song I used used to listen to a lot in university by Lou Reed called Perfect Day. And there's this uh, kind of bridge in there that goes, you're going to reap just what you sow, which of course we find in scripture. But, but that's, but the, But that's what the farmer's doing. He's sowing seed because he knows that he's going to reap what he's sown. Uh, You only get the harvest if you do the work on the front end. Uh, And so we've And so we've moved from our last sermon uh, where Jesus talks about plundering the house of the strong man to rescue souls. Now we've moved to this image of God sowing seed, which is his word, into souls. Which is why, if we're not reading our Bible, Satan rejoices because God's word is his life-giving agent. This is why Satan will do anything that he can to keep us from reading our Bible. He will deprioritize us. He, 
He will distract us. He will convince us that the Bible is hard to understand or not really relevant. He will cause us to question it because God's kingdom grows as God's people read and apply his word. That's how it works. Now, Satan loves those hungry birds that snatch away God's word. He loves those rocks that create shallow faith that looks alive and looks vibrant but then dies Away, He loves those thorns, those worries of this life that place a stranglehold onto the word of God. He loves all of this. And in fact, Satan doesn't really care if the word is bird snatched, if the word is rock stunted, or if the word is thorn choked. He doesn't care if growth, growth even appears that it's happening because we can all fake it. Satan is super patient and as long as, and he will wait as long as it takes, as long as he can get you at some point. You see, What we find out from this passage is that it's the nature of your heart that causes you to fall away. Just as it's the nature of the soil that determines whether the seed will grow into grain or not. And Satan understands this. Now, we like to think that we're all the good soil. That's our assumption, you know. Good soil, everyone else, yeah, thorny, rocky, birds. But me, I'm good soil, right? We all think that. But if we take down Jesus, if we take Jesus' parable and break it down statistically, we find out that only 25% of the soil that was uh, sown into resulted in reproduction, in fruitfulness. The other 75%, that's most people, were so caught up with other stuff that they're rendered infertile. They are dead, even though they don't look dead yet. of the crowd had already left the scene. They're at Wendy's eating a burger. The good soil, the good soil is sticking around with Jesus. The good soil is saying, Jesus, teach me more. Explain it to me. What does it mean? Show me who you are. Open your word. Explain it to me. This is how you know if you are good soil. The seed of God's word is growing in you. Like those like those Jews that we were just reading about over in in Berea. You are eagerly searching the scripture because you know it contains life. This is life. But some are like the pathway in verse 15 where the seed is snatched away by the birds. It doesn't even have land, time to land and to take root. So is this you? Is your heart as hard as interlock? And some people are like the stony ground. The word is received excitedly and with great joy. But there is no root system. They don't last long. They think that they can go on last year's or last month's or last week's experience. There's no cultivation. Is this you? Are you excited about your faith right now and what you're hearing about Jesus at Cornerstone? If so, I rejoice with you. But I also caution you. Send down roots. Learn how to study the Bible for yourself. Learn how to dig into the words yourself. Don't rely on others. Don't rely on me. Please don't let this be the only time that you're hearing the word of God expounded. Please get into it yourself. Don't expect to be fed, fed pablum all of your life. You've got to learn to feed yourself. If not, you will fall away when trouble or persecution comes. So grow some roots. 
Now, some people like the thorny ground in verse 16. They hear the word and they respond at some level, but it slowly becomes less and less important. It's the slow fade. Other habits replace studying the Bible and meditating on God's truth. The realities of the kingdom of heaven starts to become less real as the worries of life and the deceitfulness of wealth start to creep in. Now, for, for the thorny, gra- thorny ground soil, this is their hymn. They sing this, Turn your eyes upon earthly things. Look full in its bright, shiny face, and the things of God will grow strangely dim in the light of its stress and bi-weekly wage. That's the hymn of the thorny ground. So what about you? Have, have the desires for other things replaced your desire for God's life-giving word? If so, though you might consider yourself a Christian, you will be frail and fruitless your entire life. You'll, you'll be like that person in 1 Corinthians 3.15 who is saved with only the clothes on their back. They get into heaven, but only just. Jesus told parables to reveal people's hearts. There are those on the outside, those who've already chosen their level of non-engagement. And what is the fate of these people? Verse 12 tells us, it says that they may be ever seeing, but never perceiving, and ever hearing, but never understanding. Otherwise, they might turn and be forgiven. Now, Jesus isn't saying here, okay, I'm going to intentionally blind people so that they can never come to me. What Jesus is saying is this. He's saying this. I'm going to find out who really wants to know the truth and who is just here for the free lunch. Therefore, I'm going to tell a parable and leave it at that. Now, I will know who's serious about following me because they're the ones who will come to me afterwards asking to know more. This is what Jesus means when he quotes the prophet Isaiah here in this passage, that they may be ever seeing but never perceiving, ever hearing but never understanding. Um, The whole point of the parables was to whet people's appetite for more. It was the the appetizer. It was the first course. Um, Now, how the message, paraphrase, translates it is like this. But to those who can't see it yet... Everything comes in stories, creating readiness, nudging them towards receptive insight. These are people whose eyes are open but don't see a thing, whose ears are open but don't understand a word, who who avoid making an about face and being forgiven. And this is why Jesus speaks in, in, in parables. See, we think that he speaks in parables to make things clear, but Jesus speaks in parables so it's like a big rock in the ground in the middle of that road. And for those who aren't interested, that rock is in the way. It's a nuisance. It prevents them from going about their daily business until they learn to ignore it and go around it. But for those who long to follow Christ, those parables are like a rock in the ground. And they know that that rock is ready to be hefted over. And they know that under that rock is treasure, which will change their lives forever. In verse 1 of our passage today, Mark tells us that when Jesus went out on the boat and began to teach, it says that the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. 
Now, the word for land in Greek here in verse 1, the word for land in Greek is the same word used for soil in the parable. So we could read verse 1 like this, the whole ground was beside the sea on the soil. And then he tells them about soil types and what this means on a spiritual level in that crowd at that very moment that there was birds that were flying down and snatching away that word Um, But they could only do that because people's hearts were already hard. And at that very moment, as people were on the soil, listening to Jesus talking about soil, um, there were people that were receiving Jesus' words with joy, but later they would prove to be rocky hearts, incapable of receiving the roots of God's word. And at that moment, there were people who were listening, but their hearts were full of thorns, of the cares and the worries, of a desire for wealth, and everything that this world has to offer. And there's no way that God's word will ever compete with that. It will be choked. And so here in front of me, there are four soil types. Your soul is soil. Your soul is soil. What type is it? Maybe you've already made up your mind that you're not interested. Then you are the pathway Maybe you're interested in what Jesus has to say as long as he doesn't say anything too hard or that comes against your enlightened worldview. As long as he's not offensive, then you are stony ground. That seed will fall away. Maybe you're listening but only with half an ear because you have a ton of other things going on crowding out your landscape. God is on the periphery and if this is you then your garden is full of weeds and that seed will remain stunted and unfruitful for the rest of your life. Or perhaps you are good soil. You hear the word and you accept it. As we read in verse 20, you say, God, this parable is for me. This parable represents me. This is me. I'm on live TV. And I think that that moment is the moment of hope. Because I believe that it's at that moment that you give God the nod Not only to plant the seed of his word, but to do anything necessary to make it grow. You give God all the permission he needs to break up your soil. You give God all the permission he needs to pick out the stones from your life. You give God all the permission he needs to allow the roots of his word to permeate deep into your life, spreading wider and deeper and further. You give God all the permission he needs to uproot the thorns and the thistles and the falsehoods and the untruths in your life, to weed your garden, to pull out lies by their roots, to tear out the things in your life that don't glorify God. You give God the permission to grab his heavenly shovel and have at it with the sin of your life. Good soil gives God the right to wound it, to break it up, to rid it of anything that competes with his planted word. Now, now by nature, I believe that we are all pathways or stony soil or thorny soil. By nature, we are all cluttered, rubbish, infertile, messy, stony, weedy soil. But as we give the right and the permission over to the gardener to get us up to the place where we're ready to reproduce, that's the moment when we become good soil. Wendy and I went away for one week to family camp. When we came back, we found our garden overrun with weeds. This is how quick and easy this happens. But God does not give up. 
as we place our complete trust in him, that he is good, that the wounds of his shovel are made with surgical precision to break up the unfruitful clods of earth in our lives, we will become fruitful. As we keep reading his word, those seeds go deep and they grow and they transform us. Listen to God's promise for, for you if you are in Christ here, here today from 1 Peter 1.23. For you have been born again. Not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and enduring word of God. 1 Peter 1.23 For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and enduring word of God. And what that means is that what God begins, he will finish. And so as this parable ends, we, we see that, 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 that those who, who are the good soil... Again, this isn't a moral judgment. This is healthy soil. That's, that's all it means. It's not good and bad, but it's, it's healthy soil. But those who are healthy soil will bear fruit, some 30, some 60, and some 100 times what was sown. And what this means is that Jesus' kingdom will grow through the living and enduring word of God. Jesus told this parable to reveal the nature of the soil of your heart, to expose the real you. Not to shame you, but to graciously transform you. And so you may be rocky soil right now. You may be thorny soil right now. But give God the right and the permission. And he will make you good soil. Hallelujah. And how does this process start? By hanging around afterwards and saying to Jesus, teach me more. I want to know more. Explain it to me. Give me a desire for you that surpasses all other desires. By going home after this service and saying, Jesus, I want more. By confessing your thorny, stony heart and inviting him to do whatever's necessary by his grace to make your heart a place where the seed of his word can settle and find a home. Let me close with a verse from 1 Corinthians 1 verse 18. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing but to us who are being saved it is the power of God for the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing but to us who are being saved it is the power of God 